Good afternoon, everybody. We have a uh, clarification podcast that I need to uh, to get out because it's been there's been a couple things brought to my attention recently. Um, this is regarding the coronavirus podcast that we put out, um, which just because of the incorrect perceptions, well, I think we're going to go ahead and take it down. Um, so hopefully you listen to it. Uh, if you didn't, otherwise this podcast isn't going to really probably make much sense. Um, so either way, you might want to just skip it then. But for the, for the people that did, and um, more specifically, there's a couple uh, individual people that I know that I need to clarify things in here with. Um, I had, and I still um, stand on this ground, I guess the first thing that I wanted to make sure and clarify was there was a usage I used of Hebrews 10.25. And if you listen to the first podcast, I was, my whole thing with this whole deal is... I don't understand the Christian and Heidi help me out. You're going to have to help me articulate these points here. Okay. Um, because I don't understand the re the reaction of the church or, and when I say the church, I mean leaders in general and I have to be real clear about that statement because people are thinking that I was implying that I meant that pastors should purposely put their people in danger. Apparently. Apparently. Yeah. That, that's, what, that's what the perception was, which I'm not, under, I'm not sure where this perception came from. Uh, I thought that, you know, if you're a part of this podcast or if you know me, um, you know, uh, or if you know me, you know that um, that's definitely not like me to say something like that. And, uh, you know, so I absolutely did not. And um, but like I said, it, it, it was brought to my attention enough to where I needed to clarify it because I agreed. I saw, okay, fine. If there's, if there's a couple people that are saying the same thing, that are saying, yeah, we perceived it as this, then yeah, I need to go ahead and clarify it. So that saying the Hebrews 10 and 1025, using that to not neglect to meet, okay? It was understood that I was saying that I believe that churches that are doing this and shutting their doors during this COVID-19 are going against God. And it's there, there. That's what I was ranting about. That's the perception that I gave off on the on the first podcast. Apparently. Well, I think there's been a lot of, I don't know, just misunderstanding or something in all of this. Like on one hand, I feel like we're just beating a dead horse, but then I see the messages, and it's like apparently not. Apparently, it is something that needs to be discussed. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm honestly tired of discussing it. Yeah. I, I have been, and I, and I I prayed right before we start, I've been in deep prayer for weeks. This has been bothering me for weeks, and this is personal, so this, this has nothing to do with, about, you know, with me. But in my own, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you from a teacher's standpoint that I have been in prayer with this, and I cannot come to a reconciliation with what everybody is saying and not just understanding the points. Um. I'm not I'm not going to um I'm not going to go 
too me too much you know I, in this podcast I'm not going to go into every single little thing but the, the couple main points is no I in no way believe that churches that are doing this are somehow going against God okay I believe that each individual pastor leader should assess the situation and I think we as Christians, I still don't understand what you all are afraid of. I don't get it. For the life of me, I don't get it. I have said I have four children. I have people in my own home with compromised immune systems, including my own. I... My own, I am an asthmatic. I have allergies. I have these issues. So a lot of people have been, well, you know, just just thinking that this was, you know, some sort of insensitivity or some common. No, absolutely not. I'm just not afraid. I don't expect everybody to be like that. And I guess that's the the what I did in the first podcast. I guess in the first podcast, I made every it made it uh, uh, made it seem like that I, I was you know I, I feel that everybody should feel this way, and this is absolute. And if you're doing not doing this, you're going against God. That was apparently the perception, and that's definitely not the case whatsoever. I came out this podcast. This is a podcast where I have a platform to give my opinion and 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 tell people something and things and and what I teach and what I would where I would be in my church. And like I said, if I had a building right now, I would not simply not close my doors because I don't believe in it. Do I think that you're wrong for not doing that? No, I don't. But I'm entitled to have my own biblical opinion. And you can't tell me that that's wrong when it's direct in Scripture. Okay, I'm not 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 this partic not not this particular situation, but the fact that there there should be no legitimate fear here whatsoever. To die is gain. If we get this and die, to die is gain. If we lose one of our children, then heaven forbid that would be the Lord's will that that would happen and they would be welcomed into his rest. What are you afraid of? That's what really ticks me off about this whole thing. And I, I pray to the Lord to not let this turn emotional into my opinion. But turning this into a reality... What are you afraid of? That was my point. Everybody wants to throw out their little, their details and their situations and, and realities of this. That's not what I'm talking about. You have to understand from my perspective, right? I'm as a teacher, as a pastor, I am, I live outside of the world and inside of scripture consistently. This is what all Christians should be doing, but this is what the world perceives as far as a leader goes I am fully immersed in 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 my in in the Lord's work. Yes, I live in this world and operate in this world and and exactly like Paul explains that we have to. But my way of thought is not a worldly way of thought. It is a heavenly minded way of thought. I'm not afraid. Is that not is that not 
is that not being sensitive to people that are? Well, the, it, I mean, Heidi, stop this right now and, and, and tell me that I'm wrong if I'm saying that's your problem. That's not mine. That makes you afraid. That doesn't do anything with the truth. That, that's not my problem. You can't point to me your own personal situation will say yes because, and then want to protect. We want to do all these things. That's not what I'm saying. Am I saying that we, the other thing that I have to clarify right now, right off the bat, is the fact that I am not saying that we be stupid. We be foolish. Do I think that God is going to miraculously let us not get this disease and not spread? Absolutely not. If somebody coughs on me with coronavirus, I'm probably going to get coronavirus. That's, you know, like that's just what's going to happen. I'm not expecting the Lord to supernaturally take care of me for that. However, I am talking about meeting together on the Lord's Day in person. That's what I'm talking about. Am I saying that ever, I never said one time and I never wanted to imply that I was ever, ever absolute with the fact that we must meet and you are going against God and sinning if you don't? No. Anybody that knows me knows me better that that's not something that I would say, nor should you even assume that. Listening back to parts of the first podcast, no, I don't know where, where people got this, and this is multiple people, got this misconception that this is what I was saying. It sounded to me like a lot of this turned emotional rather than biblical. Your response about fear, about how we operate with this. Could I be wrong at how I think that we should do things? Sure. I could be very, very wrong. And I'm not saying there wasn't pieces in the first podcast or even in this whole argument that I'm not very wrong on. I just, I mean, I even had YouTube comment, and if this listener is is listening, you're like, no, I, I'm I'm clarifying the fact that, yeah, now, no, I'm not saying that this is persecute. I'm not crying any of that. This is honestly the same feeling that I had in 2016 with Donald Trump where I could not understand the evangelical response to this man. Could not get it. But it was the greatest thing since sliced bread in evangelicalism. And look at how amazing it's been. This is the very, I'm seeing this, this happened with this, this virus. In the evangelical response, largely, has just been 
completely weak noodle about it. Like I, that limp noodle about it. Like I, I don't even, that's, that's not even a real thing. Like, I don't even know how to describe how I believe that I perceive this response. I'm not standing on some kind of self-righteous platform or I'm, I mean, in scripture, it's, it's clear that I, there is nothing for me to be afraid of about this, nor should this change the way that I think, nor should this virus change the way that we should operate as a country. And it is happening. And we are losing so many things because of this. I don't care if people call me an idiot. I don't care how wrong that you you get you you see you are not seeing the bigger picture on this. Does this mean I'm that 100% right? No, but you have got to consider and look what has already happened. Already in Virginia, it is now a crime, a crime for churches to meet together if they defy an order because what had happened with the Assembly of God Church in Arkansas. I'm guessing that's the justification for it. I'm guessing that's the justification for it. You know, the, the thing and the point that bothers me with this is we live in a world of risk. We live in a world of sin. Christians is who I'm talking to now. I am talking to Christians that have given their self up and taking their self up and fully following Jesus. That this is who I'm talking to now. I'm not talking to the or anybody else. I'm talking to us. What is there if your if your biblical response in your head is not does not go directly to fear? When these disasters happen and, oh my gosh, this hurricane is coming that's going to wipe out thousands of people on the... Okay. So if it does, it does. To die is gain. That's my point. You're not saying don't board up your house. Don't go get some extra water Absolutely and food. not. You're saying, hey... Do what you can do, but that doesn't mean you just hide up in a ball of fear and live there. And I said the first reaction that, that I, the, the very first thing that I, that I clearly did not articulate well, and this is my fault. So if everybody wants an apology for me not articulating my points well, and I feel that I need to give one because I feel if I misled people into thinking that this is what I was saying, then sure, I apologize for you believing that. But in no way... I clarified this a hundred times, and I and, and it that's why I believe that this response from people is way more emotional than it is biblical. I'm not being biblical with first it was perceived that I had an argument saying that it was I was I was assuming that that church leaders that going against are going against God that did this. And this is, a, uh, this is a multiple people now. I did my research with people. I messaged people. I said, hey, did I do this? Yes. You seem like this. Yes. I had that, the thing that I had a couple people that saw exactly my point. Somebody even commented on YouTube about. 
I've even talked to people that saw where my heart was I in this whole deal and what I was trying to say. But I clearly didn't articulate my points well enough, and that's my own, that's my own fault. So I'll, I'll give you that, but my point here is, with all of this, is what are you afraid of and so what? Look at these numbers, Christians. Look at these things. Look at this. We know what's happening right now. We know exactly what's happening. Okay, the uh, yeah, it's it's growing. It's spreading like crazy. Again, we're tracking it. But it's spreading like crazy. And as my first point to beginning that I said in the very beginning was, "Hey y'all, this isn't the end. This isn't God's judgment. This isn't some kind of weird prophecy that people are trying to make, you know, that that this is coronavirus is in the Bible." Absolutely not. No, it's a result of a fallen world. Death, sickness, disease. Yeah, that's a result of these things. This is not God's judgment yet. But I posted in Revelation, look, we see that instantly, near instantly, one-fourth of the world's population is going to be wiped out. So isn't the spread or the, the perception of how this is, shouldn't that make you go, oh, wow. Oh, man. This should make you start worrying. Like, I've got a lot of work to do. Because Jesus is coming. And that's the point. We don't know when it's going to be. No man knows the day or hour. But look, we still have God's impending judgment coming. Once we can start seeing signs all over the world of things that will occur during the tribulation period, This is the time that you should start preaching the gospel. Preach the gospel of repentance. Turn from your ways. A lot of these things require you to be with somebody. Not everybody has an internet connection. Not everybody can do home church. If God has showed me anything through this process... It has showed me the importance of meeting together locally as a body and not neglecting to meet and not doing home church. Now, my, my opinions don't change. I still believe that you should leave your church if you don't have, any, if you don't have a sound, doctrinally sound church. And if you have no option, then you should do an online church. It's an absolute valid form of church. And I would never take away from that. All of our channels are online right now. 
until we get a building, I would love one. That's not in the plan yet. The Lord doesn't have that for me, but I would love one. But I'm not taking away anything from the the validity of it and the fact that you can be fed. I'm saying us as believers can't bend over backwards and let this just defeat us and let the world see this. I don't see how we as Christians don't resist a, I mean, I mean, as a, a unbiblical command, not the unbiblical command is not, not meeting together in church. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this worry, this this knowledge of where we are, this knowledge of those birth pains, those creation groaning. I mean, there's so many references in Scripture and the usage of birth pains is all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout into the New Testament, from Jesus to Paul. Then Paul again in Romans 8 speaks that creation is groaning and not all of creation, he says. All of it. So that means, guess what? The seas are growing. Nature's groaning. All of these things are groaning. All of creation is groaning to be set back right. All of it. What do you think that means? Birth pains, groanings, it gets louder. It gets harder. What are we told to do during those times? Endure. Let us not be like those that don't have any hope. Yeah, that's worried about the resurrection of the dead. It still applies, does it not? If you, you argue that it, it doesn't apply, then I would say I, I biblically disagree with you. And then we could, you know, fine. We'll have a disagreement on that. I don't see where you see it. As you see the day drawing near, and that was the point that I made that slipped the heads of some. I'm not being sensational about this. What did I just say at the beginning? This is not God's judgment and this is not the end. This is only a dimly lit preview of what's going to happen during the end. It's only a dim, that, that's all that it is. So with this preview, and I sat back and that was the first thing that I saw in this. And this is where I don't, I, I mean, this is my, this is my job now. This is what I do now. So my head being in the, the first thing that I saw in the, I was going, wow, this is incredible. 
this 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 could be bad. What if this was horrible? What if this was like it was it, like Black Death? We have eight billion people in the world now. Our population during the Black Death plague was not. I looked it up the other day. It was. It wasn't even a billion people yet. It took us. I, I forgot what year it was. It, it took us to get to a billion. But I mean. I can't imagine what something like that would do today. But that's not, that's where we, that's what the sobering reminder is, is we know that this earth, not only is it groaning, waiting to be set right, but it's got judgment coming. The whole face of this earth is going to change. It's going to have to. Because if you've read the book of Revelation, this, this planet's going to be really, really messed up. So we know from the Old Testament prophets, we know from Isaiah, we know that once the Messiah comes in the, to establish his millennial kingdom, that all of this will be fixed. Jerusalem now will be the highest mountain. Everybody will come flow to it. But it's going to go through a lot first. And then ultimately, we're waiting for a new heaven and new earth that is far beyond our, our comprehension. We can't even wrap our heads around the new heaven and new earth. All that to say, I do not understand the freaked out reaction to this. And that was my point. That was simply my point. I this is not absolute. I think that there there is good in closing the churches for a couple of weeks and cleaning them. And the problem, everybody say, oh, well, this is going to be lifted in Easter. So no, it's not that big of a deal. It's just not that, you know, it's just temporary. It's just temporary for now. For now it is. What, you're going to call me a conspiracy theorist because I'm, I'm warning you of this? Have you not seen the direction of this country? Well, the headlines have been all over of constitutional things now that are already going into place and being taken away because of this. What happens when we don't get, we still have the same things in place and we don't, somebody that doesn't agree with our views. Imagine if what's, I, I mean, just imagine if the liberals, if Cortez or something ran this country. Imagine what would happen with the same types of things that would be in place. There's an op-ed piece, I think, today uh, in one of the New York publications blaming Christianity for uh, this being in existence anyways. Did you see that? 
Oh, no, I didn't. the whole thing on it anyways because Christians are the ones who pick Trump and Trump doesn't take the science stuff seriously and therefore kind of brought all this together. Wow. Um, I don't remember which one it was, but, I mean, it's all silly anyways. Yeah, and I, the other thing is, is people I, – I don't want people to think that I am taking this lightly, but when – studying the the numbers and and i mean it's just it does not warrant the freak out well it's like you serious. pulled it up right so last year eighty thousand people died in three months because of the flu okay so during flu season do we shut churches down do we stop going to church do we have to do everything online do you know or whatever or do we do some there's been do some different things right like if we get sick we're like ah right like we've talked about we have friends that they attend a public church and it's like every time all of our kids get together somebody ends up with the sniffles and it's like well yeah but you guys go to church you go to all these different things where you come into contact with other germs people transmit stuff like it happens it builds their immune system blah blah whatever you deal with it but it's funny now that it's like, okay, so even if we track like 20,000 deaths per month, like we're still tracking less deaths than the flu season killed last year. That's still awful. That's tragic. 80,000 people died because of a strain of so like absolutely. But just like any other thing, it's just this is new and this is different. And so there's uncertainties and unknowns and people are freaking out. And the whole point that I feel you've been trying to make, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we're just not getting. And so now we're like clamoring at all the verses we can and, and, and getting very emotional over this. But the whole point you've been trying to make is more and more, not just with the coronavirus, but this on top of all the other things going on around the world, we are seeing so abundantly clear and even unbelievers are seeing that something is going on. It looks like the end of days, like all of the sensational, crazy, left behind type stuff has been shouting about for years. Something crazy is going on. The world is falling apart. And we as believers should know that the world is not falling apart. Things are falling into place because Jesus is returning. So why on earth when the national world, not even national, but when the world's view is looking to these things, why is the church not standing solidly together as one saying we are standing here without fear? We are here ready to serve. We had one church member who cautioned earlier and she said, there are many people that don't have internet. There are many people that for the first time are starting to actually question and, and look and, and God is moving their heart. And, and where is the church for them to go to to be helped during this? Because everybody's closing their doors. Where are the pastors that are standing there wide open saying, hey, call me. I will FaceTime you. I will be here for you. My home is open. My church is open. Whatever it is. Let me serve you and help. There are some that are doing this, and that's fantastic. But the point is, is across the board as a whole, why are we not banding together as the body of believers, not the church a building, but as a body of believers to say, hey, what I've got is open. I am here. How can we serve you? Yeah, we're, we're cleaning extra. We're doing certain things. We're telling people to be careful. If you have a compromised immune system, you've got little kids or you're elderly and, and you can't and you feel comfortable, you know, you don't feel comfortable coming. Okay, that's okay. We've still got all these things here. We're trying to serve you as best we can, but why are we not standing 
on solid ground of God's word, completely unafraid of these things saying, hey, how, hey, we're still here. We're still here to hope because you see all these things that are going on. It's just going to get worse. This is what's coming and this is what's serious. I don't know if I'm going to be here tomorrow, be it by death or rapture. I don't know if I have tomorrow. So I'm going to stand here firm and ready to go and, and know that we are all dying. But Jesus is coming and you need to know the truth. You need to know the gospel. This is what's important. Amen. And that's that's what, been like that's the whole my point. whole point the whole time. Yes. And I have... I have tried to sing that song. I have tried to, and, and like I said, if I didn't articulate it in my first post or in my first podcast, that's my own fault. And apologies to anybody else that took it differently. But again, if you took it differently, that's not my problem. Look, I and and I don't need I don't I don't need anybody's opinion on this. I have a platform, and what I say, I'm going to have to stand before the Lord, and I know that I have a flock of people listening, maybe not a whole bunch of people on the podcast, but I know that I have a whole bunch of people in my church that are listening to what I say and are looking to me for these things. So I understand, is per James, that I, James 3.1, that not many of us should become teachers because we know that we're going to be judged with greater strictness. I am 120% fine with standing in front of the Lord and defending myself for this. Completely fine. One of our members uh, posted this, this um, uh, reacted thing on the Bema Seat Judgment, and it was just absolutely i have been absolutely mind blown by it i've heard just parts I of just, it when you're listening to it and i it, get chills not, like not, i can't not, even something has not I made me that excited it. in a long time yeah. okay we'll have to do but, more on that in the which future, we will and i, I want to do a podcast specifically on the bema seat judgment because i think this would now is a good time to do it and in the bema seat judgment this is what i believe and not everybody believes in the bema seat Okay, but the Bema Seat, and, and, and sometimes even people believe differently about how this is going to go. People like John MacArthur don't believe that there's not going to be any shame in the, in the judgment seat. It's only going to be burnout. You know, it's not going to be. I don't believe that. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe that. I believe that, that I will absolutely, absolutely have to stand in front of the glorified Christ right in, and explain everything i did while i was a believer and if i misled anybody and if i had any works that are going to be burnt up especially works as a teacher you know being burnt up misled are you kidding me like i believe that i will receive absolute shame and feel that and I will actually feel the loss. I will be saved, as Paul says, but as through fire. And again, I don't, fire's hot and it burns. So there's going to be something there. So all that to say that this is what I believe would happen to me if I misled somebody wrong. I am fully confident and standing before the Lord and telling people that this is how I feel and this is how I think that we should act. I'm not telling people to be responsible or irresponsible. I'm not, I, I, there's absolute common sense. 
Okay, but the whole world, except for a few businesses, is pretty much running the way that it was. People are using social distancing, this new word that I can't stand now, but they're using this social distancing six feet six feet away. And, you know, things are going on like normal. I've been in Walmart. I went to a doctor's appointment the other day in which the doctor shook my hand. I was even somewhat surprised that he would reach out to do that. I was like, wow, I went ahead and shook his hand because I'm not afraid. That doesn't mean that I'm any better or I shouldn't am saying that you're ridiculous for being that. I didn't say that, so don't misquote me on that or misunderstand me. I wasn't. I, I shook his hand just fine, and he was totally cool. And, you know, he mentioned something, you know, with everything going on. You know, I mean, of course you say that. So things are kind of similar, not for everybody, but still, they're still operating. But yet we're closing churches. Yet Walmart is still open. Yet liquor stores are still open and liquor stores are seen as essential businesses. And somebody told me that that argument doesn't hold weight. How? How does that not hold weight? Why can't we practice safe? you know social distancing and and cleansing and 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 habits and staying home if you feel sick regardless of if you have the virus on you for four i get it but you know if if you're using these methods that we've been told to use the probabilities are still very, very low that you're going to get it. Does that mean they won't increase? That, that doesn't mean that. I'm sitting here watching the map as we speak. I'm watching the sick map as we seek. So, of course. But as I'm sitting here watching this, I'm seeing the recoveries far outweigh the deaths. Three, two times more, three times more. This type of response is warranted. I don't know. I I think that, you know, I, I think that I, I tried to make this is this is just where I I guess to to not go too much into a rabbit hole because I'm I'm already finding myself doing that. I, this is what I feel and what I believe and what I will teach my church. Does this mean I'm not going to shame anybody that doesn't think the same way? I understand if you don't agree, but I'm still going to go, okay, but why are you afraid? That's still going to be my question. And that's still my question to anybody. Any Christian is Okay, so what? So what if you get it? That's being so, but that's not being careless and not like no. That's that's just being using. That's just me. So. That is absolutely something. And that's something that I can have. I don't, 
I really don't understand the opposition coming up against it saying that I'm not allowed to have my strong opinion as a teacher and feel one way. I understand everything that has come out. I've seen the Justin Peters articles. I've seen every single article that has come out. And I've read them all and I've, and I've took all of them to heart. You don't need to send me any more articles on it. I don't agree with it. I don't. I'm allowed to do that. I'm allowed to have this opinion on it. I'm allowed to have this boldness. And I'm allowed to say that I believe that there are those that are folding all too quickly. And the repercussions of doing so just stinks. Not that we can do anything about it. I guess I, I really have no, no, no argument there in fussing about it. But then that brings me back to my next point of pay attention. If these things are happening, then this means that things are starting to get really they're real and interesting. I don't, I mean, I don't see in Scripture where the American church is going to be persecuted like the other churches in the rest of the world. I don't see that. What, does this have anything to do with that? I, I believe it does. At the end of the day, it does. Because of the things that we are giving up and accepting and our attitudes towards this type of thing, I just in just saying well this is the way that it is and just you know the, the the repercussions of this i think are going to be larger than what everybody thinks or everybody is warranting because everybody wants to get emotional about it i wish everybody would stop making me agree with donald trump and everybody and that's the true crime going on here, and you guys. It is. And everybody <laughs> is agreed with Trump everybody is that's why everybody's now mad on his back for saying that Calm he's down, not, everyone. He's not taking it seriously and that it's you know, they're blaming him for all kinds of stuff, and he's saying that I I don't see that when he's when he's been talking about it. I I really don't. I I have I've heard his briefings every single day and the way that he is frustrated with everybody else in his cabinet about this I'm like I, I why do I agree with Donald Trump because this is the guy that I felt Maybe you really have lost your marbles. <laughs> maybe maybe. <laughs> you're just completely off your rocker now. <laughs> maybe because I see this like he's like what Yes, it's bad. Yes, we need to do things to, you know, keep safe but we and don't, stay home we and from don't public places. Stop but being and you know, but we, everybody we, wants to give in to the fear, and that's that, the thing that's, that's, that's so, what it boils down to and is that's the fear a, of that. It. But that's been your point to Christians this whole time, guys, 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 guys. Calm down, right? Yes, don't let people 
cough into your face. Don't be out in public and then putting your fingers into your eyeball, your nose, or your mouth. Like, do certain things. Wash your hands. Stay home, right? Just like for us, I know for our family, come flu season, we live off of elderberry syrup and a bunch of other things. And I don't take the kids out a lot of places because it's flu season and people are sick and everything in public is just germy and gross and disgusting, right? That's just like in general. And so... Do that, but that doesn't mean you, you know, cease being the body of Christ, that you cease going out and witnessing to others, that you you don't come together when the world is in this great upheaval and, and shut all the church doors and say, sorry, here's a website link. We got to go. There's a virus. And what here's what bothers me about this. Okay, we, I'm on the World Health Organization website right now. I, this is what I just don't understand about it. They're on the World Health Organization. Should I worry about COVID-19? Okay. It, it, this doesn't say that one in five people will catch it. It says, should I worry about it? It says only about one in five people who catch it need hospital care. So those are of the people who actually catch Catch it it. not one in five will catch it but of the people who do actually catch it only one out of five one out of five goes to the hospital for that okay if if you're really sick and and you've got the you know your high fever and really weak and you have these things and you think you might have it sure and these are based off of known recovery and you have to get tested twice to be considered recovered and they're separate tests. So these aren't just numbers that they're just throwing out there before. Yeah, we don't know a lot of these numbers yet. They're not absolute yet. But there's still a lot of these. People are recovering from this. And these these smaller cases where people are finding complications and even mutations of the disease and different things like that. Okay, that that's hap- but that's still not the norm. When that number reaches of the people not recover, like death reaches the number of recoveries, then I will, then I would, I would warrant like, hey, something that I don't want to, you know, even if it neared that. But then it says, you know, should I wear a mask to protect myself? They tell you, no, it's, it's just the most effective way to protect yourself and others against this are just to frequently wash your hands, cover your cough with the bend of an elbow or tissue, and maintain a distance of at least three feet from people who are coughing or sneezing. And again, this is the World this Health This is the World Health Organization. They they talk about the virus on the on the surface. Is there anything that you should not do? Okay, and here's here's one of the things and and it says right here that people that are more likely to have complications is a health issue. Blood pressure, diabetes, all these different things like this, these are your people that are more likely. Yes, I have seen what like the five people that have been completely healthy that have died. Claim, yeah. You know, and I, I understand the World Health Organization also recommends a 14-day period for anybody that has been exposed to, you know, anywhere. This is where this 14-day period, this quarantine thing is coming from. 
that if it's been spread in the area, it's advised to quarantine. Okay. What makes us believe, and I understand that, but you understand that this doesn't go anywhere. This is a virus. Viruses come back. This happened. This is going to happen again. So these viruses will keep continuing to happen and we are supposed to give up every single one of our rights because these viruses continue to happen? Well, just like how we have flu season. I mean, it is something worth, which, I mean, the well, coronavirus Well, be careful is- because I did see an article today about, there's another argument about the, the flu and, and not being comparable to the flu. Sure, so. but let's just say, though, right, like we have flu season. That's something that we all right. know, you think right. about, you probably keep some extra NyQuil at home or whatever, right? Like, but- coronavirus has been around this isn't a new thing that just came out it's Mm -mm. been around for years now and like you said it's a virus just like many other viruses that we have and you're aware of and you deal with and you take precautions for and whatever but like you said this has been around it has been around for years and so the odds of this being something that becomes a new norm to some extent right right Just like when you look in the history books of measles or anything like that. The first time, sure, was really awful because nobody had an immunity to it. Gotcha, right? Mm -hmm. But it didn't just, and it's still to this day, you can't eradicate it. It still exists. And so the odds of this, you know, coming back next year and the year after and the year after, to some degree, of course, because things change and whatever. But are we going to do this every time? Yeah. Everybody's staying in and this dying down, you know, for 14 days or or, or 21 days or whatever it might be, isn't going to make it just cease from existence. No, it's it's this is where I don't understand the Christian argument to it. It's funny because we as Christians, well, we're going to follow these guidelines. So the virus doesn't get us. And as a Christian, you go, well. The thing about that is creation is groaning. And the other thing about that is Jesus said in Matthew 24, he gave the conditions of what it would look like to the Jews before his second coming. Okay, but he also explained that there was going to be during this, this, this period of this age that we are in now. And you tie this in with Paul explaining that the deceiving, the false teachings, the religious system that's going to be built up. That's that's our biggest tall tale sign is this false religious system of the end days. And, you know, I guess that's that was one of my, my points that I didn't get to articulate was the fact that we don't have, if we believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, we don't have, the rapture is a relatively signless event. Okay, I say relatively, most people say signless. I say relatively signless because I, I, I believe that, you know, Paul and, and Christ himself, they indicated a increase of these things before the day of the Lord, before the rapture and before the impending day of judgment for, on the unbelieving world. So it's relatively signless but if we look at and go back and understand what jesus was saying in the parables in matthew here when we're talking about this false religious system that's going to grow as be a monstrosity 
and it's just going to attract everybody. But it's just built on nothing. It's a weed. It's the it's it's built on nothing. And I look and I look in our world right now. And that is so apparent. Especially in a situation like this. Because not all of you, but a lot of, like, I mean, there's a lot of people here that are, that, that just, I don't believe that are still getting it. You know, they, they just can't equate these things. But this is the only indication to we have we have of these things. And right now, like you said a few minutes ago, Heidi, that was my whole point to beginning. If we truly see this day drawing near, if we truly see these things, why are we not making that extra effort in showing the world that we don't have any fear? Giving them, and when they ask about it, giving reason. I just, I can't, I can't comprehend going and, and meeting with each other if you're able to bodily. I, I believe that, that this is what we, what we do. And I want to, I know this has been a long podcast, but I don't care because this is my clarification podcast. I could make this as long as I want to be. I have this article that I posted on my church group and it is, it was written about, it comes from the, the Spurgeon Center, but it's called Spurgeon and the Cholera Outbreak of 1854. And the, this article was absolutely incredible. Let me go ahead and read this to close this, this whole thing out. So my apologies, I'll start reading after this, but my apologies to anybody that took me as absolute, uh, especially when I pointed out failing to meet together as thinking that that was going against God or I was somehow, you know, my personal opinion and my, the way that I will operate my church would not be like that. And I don't understand why others aren't following suit. You can give me all of your worldly excuses you want. I don't understand biblically. I don't want to understand worldly. I have a focused outlook on life. I look at everything through a biblical lens. My lens sometimes looks like I don't care about things and I'm not paying attention to it. But that's my focus. 
My focus is heavenly minded. And sometimes that doesn't interact very well with this world. And we shouldn't. We should feel this pull. And this is one of those perfect situations. Because I keep praying, Lord, I apologize if I am wrong. Please work on my heart. Please show me. And you know what happens? I keep getting more and more zealous for the fact of saying that we cannot display or have this type of attitude of fear. So if I believe that this is what's on my heart, that's what I'm going to say. I don't care about your personal situation. I don't care about why. I don't care about the, the, any of that. I have a job to do. I have a platform. I will use that platform. And I will not back down because of some statistic opinion or something from anybody else. Again, I, I'm not above rebuke. I'm not trying to be a Pharisee. I definitely saw in this, in this situation where I have been wrong. And I apologize for that. But it still does not change my stance on anything. I will re-articulate, change the way that I say things, clarify things. But it doesn't change anything. And I believe that this article here kind of explains everything that I am trying to say that I didn't articulate well enough the first time. <clears throat> Starts as the reports of the coronavirus spread around the world, pastors and church leaders are discussing how they should respond to the outbreak. Throughout church history, many pastors have had to think through similar challenges. As a young village preacher, Charles Spurgeon admired the Puritan ministers who stayed behind to care for the sick and dying during the Great Plague of London in 1665. Now in the fall of 1854, the newly called pastor of the New Park Street Chapel in London found himself pastoring his congregation amid a major cholera outbreak in the Broad Street neighborhood just across the river. How did Spurgeon respond? Number one, prioritize local ministry. During the epidemic of cholera, though I had many engagements in the country, I gave them up that I might remain in London to visit the sick and the dying. I felt that it was my duty to be on spot in such a time of disease and death and sorrow. That's a direct quote from Spurgeon. Spurgeon's popularity had grown throughout the Finland villages outside of Cambridge during his pastorate at Waterbeach. Even after arriving in London, he continued to be invited to preach in those villages during the week. 
But during the outbreak, Spurgeon recognized his responsibility to be present with those who were sick and dying. This was not a time to be an inerrant preacher. This was a time to focus on caring for his church and the community in which he lived. He would not outsource this task to his deacons or any other church leaders, but remained in London in order to fulfill his duty. Point two, adjust as needed, but continue meeting if possible. The Broad Street cholera outbreak of 1854 occurred in August and September of that year. And its effects would be continue or I'm sorry, and its effects would continue to be felt in the weeks and months following. The neighborhood where Spurgeon's church met was not quarantined, so they were able to compete to continue meeting through throughout those months. Interestingly, no record of those sermons preached during those days remain. Okay, I'm gonna interject something right there. That's where um I would again, even if my neighborhood was quarantined, I that's where my the whole point in the first podcast was. I would still, if I had a church, would still meet. Three, perhaps the outbreak forced the congregation to adjust some of their previous practices, including the transcription of sermons. Additionally, Spurgeon was likely too busy in those days to edit sermons for publication, so that's likely why these sermons don't exist during this time. However, we know that the congregation continued meeting during those days because the church minute books contain records of congregational meetings carried on throughout the fall of 1854. In those books, amid all the pastoral challenges of the outbreak, Spurgeon and his deacons continued to receive new members, persuade inactive members, observe the Lord's Supper, and practice all the other normal activities of a church. Not only that, but in retrospect, it was particularly during this time when the news of death raged all around the city that Spurgeon found Londoners most receptive to the gospel. If there ever be a time when the mind is sensitive, it is when death is abroad. I recollect when I first came to London how anxiously people listened to the gospel, for the cholera was raging terribly. There was little scoffing then. It's another direct quote. In other words, not only did Spurgeon gather his church amid the outbreak, but he saw in these gatherings a wonderful, powerful opportunity for the gospel and proclaim the gospel boldly. Pastors need to exercise wisdom when it comes to gathering as a church, especially when the health and lives of people are at stake. Certainly, adjustments will need to be made and priority will have to be given to only the most important aspects of our gatherings. But when such gatherings are possible, pastors should realize that they can be tremendous opportunities for preaching the gospel to those who are desperately looking for hope. Point three, visit the sick. As Pastor Spurgeon not only continued to gather his church, but he also made himself available throughout the week, working tirelessly to visit the sick and grief-stricken. In the year 1854, when I had scarcely been in London 12 months, the neighborhood in which I labored was visited by Asiatic cholera, and my congregation suffered from its inroads. Family after family summoned me to be, to be the bedside of the smitten, and almost every day I was called to visit the grave. In these visits, Spurgeon prayed with the sick and grieving, and pointed them to hope of the gospel. But more than just bringing the gospel content, his presence communicated something of God's comfort to his people. 
Though these visits were often fearful and full of grief, there were also glorious occasions of faith and joy. He goes on to quote, I went home and was soon called away again, that time to see a young woman. She also was in the last extremity, but it was a fair, fair sight. She was singing, though she knew she was dying, and talking to those around about, round about her telling her brothers and sisters to follow her to heaven, bidding goodbye to her father, and all the while smiling as if it had been her marriage day. I was happy and blessed. Point four, be open to new evangelistic opportunities. Spurgeon did not limit himself merely to visiting members of his congregation, but was willing to visit persons of all ranks and religions. All day and sometimes all night long, I went from house to house and saw men and women dying, and oh, how glad they were to see my face. When many were afraid to enter their houses, lest they should catch the deadly disease, we who had no fear about such things found ourselves most gladly listened to when we spoke of Christ and of things divine. On one occasion, at three in the morning, Spurgeon was summoned to visit a dying man. Surprisingly, this was not a Christian but someone who had opposed him. This man in his lifetime had been wont to jeer at me. In strong language, he had often denounced me as a hypocrite. Yet he was no sooner smitten by the darts of death than he sought my presence and counsel. No doubt, feeling in his heart that I was a servant of God, though he did not care to own it with his lips. Spurgeon went on right away, but by the time he arrived, there was little he could do. I stood by his side and spoke to him, but he gave me no answer. I spoke again, but the only consciousness he had was a forbidding of terror mingled with the stupor of approaching death. Soon, even then, even that was gone, for sense had fled, and I stood there a few minutes, sighing with the poor woman who had watched over him and altogether hopeless about his soul. Not every evangelistic opportunity will result in dramatic conversations, but during times of disease, surprising opportunities may arise. Therefore, take advantage of any opportunities you might have to preach the gospel to those who are suffering. In, verse, in point five, entrust your life to God. As Spurgeon gave himself to pastoral work, he soon found himself physically and mentally exhausted. Not only that, but he began to fear for his own safety. Yet amid his fears, he learned to entrust himself to God and to his faithfulness. At first, I gave myself up with youthful adore to the visitation of the sick and was sent from all corners of the district by persons of all ranks and religions. But soon I became very weary in my body and sick at heart. My friends seemed failing, falling one by one, and I felt or fancied that I was sickening like those around me. A little more work and weeping would have laid me low among the rest. I felt that my burden was heavier than I could bear, and I was ready to sink under it. I was returning mournfully home from a funeral when, as God would have have it, my curiosity led me to read a paper which was wafered up in a shoemaker's window in the Great Dover Road. It did not look like a trade announcement, nor was it, for it bore in a good, bold handwriting these words. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, 
There shall be no evil befall thee, neither any plague shall come nigh thy dwelling. The effect upon my heart was immediate. Faith appropriated the passage as her own. I felt secure, refreshed, girt with immortality. I went on with my visitation of the dying. In a calm and peaceful spirit, I felt no fear of evil, and I suffered no harm. The providence which moved the tradesman to place those verses in his window, I gratefully acknowledge, and in the remembrance of its marvelous power, I adore the Lord my God. Here Spurgeon does not promise that no Christian will ever die of sickness. Rather, the Christian needs not dread sickness, for he has nothing to lose, but everything to gain by death. Once again, pastors must exercise wisdom and take appropriate precautions as they visit those who are dying. At the same time, our security cannot be in those precautions, but it must be in God. As we entrust our lives to God and faithfully carry out our responsibilities, we have an opportunity to demonstrate what hope and peace look like in the midst of death. In many ways, Spurgeon's example during the cholera outbreak of 1854 follows the pattern of normal pastoral ministry on every occasion. Pastors are to be present with their people, lead in the gatherings of the church, care for those who are suffering, be faithful in evangelism, and continue trusting in God through it all. The main difference is that during an outbreak, there is a heightened reality of suffering and death. Therefore, the work becomes more intense and urgent, and the opportunities for the gospel multiply. As pastors and church leaders consider their response to the coronavirus in our present day, there is much to figure out practically and logistically, but the core of our ministry remains, preach the gospel. Speaking in 1866, amidst another cholera outbreak, Spurgeon gave this charge to pastors and all Christians. And now, again, is the minister's time. And now is the time for all of you who love souls. You may see more men alarmed than they are already. And if they should be, mind that you avail yourselves of the opportunity of doing them good. You have the balm of Gilead. Where their wounds smart, pour it in. You know of him who died to save. Tell them of him. Lift high the cross before their eyes. Tell them that God became the man that might be lifted to God. Tell them of Calvary and its groans and cries and the sweat of blood. Tell them of Jesus hanging on the cross to save sinners. Tell them that. This is a life for a look at the crucified one. Tell them that. He is able to save the uttermost, all them that come unto God by him. Tell them that he is able to save even at the eleventh hour, and to say to the dying thief, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. That's all I have. And that's all I've been since the beginning, is exactly what he said. Show them that you have no fear. I don't care what the world says. That's my opinion, and that's the way that I teach. 
We can have differences of opinion. Fine. If you don't like my opinion, you are more than welcome to not listen to this podcast or move on. I am not a servant of man. I am a servant of God. I was misunderstood. But the point still remains. Now is the time. Spurgeon said himself, in times like this, the opportunity that we have, leaders, that's where, you know, people take it emotionally like saying that I'm talking to every individual Christian or every individual church that decides to do something. No, I'm not. But the core of the issue still remains. Is your reaction based off of fear? Or are you looking to Christ and understanding that dying is gain? That's up to you, not to me. I hope that came across better. Probably not. But guys, with, with all the love in the Lord, that's, that's the message that I have for today.